a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashan. Nashan, the father of Salmun. Salmun, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azur, Azur, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Methan, Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. This is the start of Matthew's gospel. I bet he got your attention. (laughs) Captivated, right? Christians today, often we drudge our way through the Old Testament and through the genealogies thinking, I can't wait for the New Testament. And yet here we are on page one of our New Testament. More genealogy. Ha ha ha. And actually, actually, I believe that it is captivating. And it, it, it was captivating to his audience, but only if we see it from the bird's eye view. We got to go way up high in the sky to see the, the big picture story of what God is doing through the generations. So as an illustration, if you're, if you're walking through a cornfield, all you see is, is plants. All you see is green stalks. You don't even really see corn. You just see tall plants on your left, on your right, behind you and in front of you. That's all you see. Now, if you zoom up and if there's a big plan in this whole, if there's some design in the field, you will see some art if, if there's a design. But that's, that's only if you get the right vantage point. You have to be looking at the forest, to use another illustration, and not just individual trees. And if you look at the individuals in this, in this genealogy, there's some great stories. I mean, you, you might recognize some names like Ruth and Boaz. It's like, oh yeah, I read that Old Testament book. I liked it because it was short. Um, but it's a great story, and, 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 and you should, I think it's, it's a great opportunity to, to look at these individual trees, if you will, but today we're going to look at the forest because Matthew is pointing us to the big picture. 
And today we are beginning a study of Matthew's gospel. And if you know anything about it, uh, it's, it's, it's the longest gospel. It's 28 chapters. So we might be here a while, but I'm, I'm only committing. Just you can know if I stop after chapter seven, it's because I, I believe God wants us to take a break from it. But we're, we're going to at least go through chapter seven um, all, straight through, and uh, we might pick it up later. But uh, the, the way we're going to do it is in flyover mode the first basically month. We're going to fly through chapter one today, chapter two next week, chapter three the following. But I want us to slow down and kind of land the plane, if you will, on the Sermon on the Mount. And I want us to just sit at Jesus' feet, you know, figuratively speaking, and hear from him how to live, hear from his teaching and wrestle with that. So uh, I want to begin today with a quick overview of the the genre of of literature that these books Matthew Mark Luke and John uh, they're called the gospel accounts and um, what they are not is uh, they're not trying to tell Jesus's whole life his whole ministry everything he said and did they're not trying to be all-encompassing in fact at the end of John's gospel he says if one were to try to tell everything Jesus did I suppose there wouldn't even be enough books in in all the world to contain everything Jesus did. But what they are, what these gospel accounts are, is they are trustworthy historical documents. uh, If you ever have any doubts about the Bible, I'd encourage you to examine the, the, what is necessary for a historical document such as the Bible to be considered reliable and accurate in terms of manuscripts. Uh, versus other other uh, historical documents that we use, at, like the Odyssey is is a famous historical document, but the the New Testament has so many more copies of 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 New Testament writings that we can know. Okay, what we're reading today is actually an incredible, incredibly accurate uh, replication of what was originally written. So these are these are historical, reliable documents, and they tell the same story. Uh, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And this, this gospel calls us to discipleship to Jesus. The same story and the same implication or application, which is follow Jesus with your whole life. They do, these gospel accounts, they do differ s- slightly. So, so if I were to, this is just a, an example. If I were to jump off this stage, this direction, this group of people would say, In giving an eyewitness account, they would say, Ben jumped off the stage toward us. And this group of people would say, Ben jumped off the stage away from us, right? Same story, different perspective, different accounts. And that's a general uh, illustration of how the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all differ because they have a unique emphasis. And, And their emphasis is really subtle but I want to bring Matthew's emphasis to light as we study it. Matthew's emphasis in one word, Matthew's emphasis in his gospel is fulfillment. And he's not talking first and foremost about your personal fulfillment, although there's definitely implications for this. Uh, he's talking about Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's purposes through the ages. 
And so if you look for it, and as we look into Matthew's gospel, you'll see that word and you'll see that idea over and over. So I'll try to highlight it this week and in the weeks to come. Back to Matthew's uh, riveting introduction that had you on the edge of your seat. Matthew mentions many notable people, but what he does is he highlights three big movements of God. And, and I want you to see it in the text. I'm not just, I'm not just picking what I want to talk about. Matthew makes it abundantly clear this is what he wants the reader to get. In verse 1, he mentions two of them. He says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus. Here's, here's what I'm about to give you. But then he says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so there's two of them, David and Abraham, two big movements. And then verse 17, in his recap, he says, inspired by God's spirit, Matthew writes, thus were, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, there's one to two, and then 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and there's two to three, David and the exile, and then 14 from the exile to the Christ, which again, the Christ is the whole point of his introduction, okay? This is how he's getting his, his audience's attention as he's giving them genealogy. But what they, would heard, what they would have heard is not a list of names. They would have heard a big, big story because his audience were, were Jews and they, they were connected, that, like this was part of their heritage. They were connected to this big story, these movements of God over time. So what we're gonna do is review these three movements, Abraham, David, and the exile. And we're gonna see God's redemptive purpose uh, from Abraham to the Christ as told by Matthew. So the first movement, the first movement that Matthew mentions is that God promised Abraham a child. And with that promise, there were other promises kind of embedded in that promised child. So look at Genesis 17. God said to Abraham, I will make you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful and I'll make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. And it's important to remember, at this point in Abraham's life, he just had one son, and that son was out of wedlock. He'd forced it because he'd wanted the son so bad that his wife, Sarah, came and said, well, why don't you sleep with my maidservant, with our servant, Hagar, and then we can have a son. But God said, no, that's not the promised son I'm talking about. I'm talking about a son to come. And from that son, I'll make a nation, there will be kings, and you will, in, like, the, the, your, your people will inhabit this land. And God was faithful to fulfill the promise to Abraham, even though it was two generations before Abraham's family became a nation. It was two generations. And it was centuries. It was centuries before there was a king in that nation of Israel. God's promise, I want you to get this, God's promise to Abraham was pointing ahead, okay? The second movement is that God established David as this promised king for his people, but even to the promised king David, he gave a promise. Before, before we unpack David, I want to stop, put, hit the pause button, and we're gonna do a little exercise uh, because we're talking about kingdom now that we're talking about David. And 
Matthew, one of Matthew's emphasis in his gospel is the kingdom of God. And uh, this is not a pretest because it's not a test, but I, it, the closest word I could come up with is pretest. It's like when your teacher asks you, you know, what, what do you know about this subject at the start of class? No grades given. I don't want your name on your paper, but take, take a little slip of paper in front of you if you're willing or behind you, uh, if you're on the front row. And um, just write the answer to the question. When you hear the kingdom of God, give me a short uh, picture of your understanding. I guess you could draw a picture if you wanted, but <laughs> I, I'm looking for just a short answer of what is your understanding of the kingdom? So I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that. And you can put this piece of paper in the offering bag at, when they pass after the message. So I, I put on this slide, the next slide, I think, or the last slide. Yeah, there it is. Here's a few churchy uses of the phrase. Let your kingdom come, kingdom building, uh, kingdom work, advancing the kingdom. <laughs> we like to use the word apparently, but what does that even mean? And if you say IDK, that's I don't know. And that's a good answer if you don't really know. So what is the kingdom of God? Okay, I'll give you about 30 more seconds because really what I'm after is kind of the first thing you think of when you hear what's the kingdom of God. Okay, so again, if you're, if you're willing, I'd appreciate, I, I, I enjoy kind of getting a snapshot of, of what you guys are thinking uh, as we continue to press in to Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. I think it would help connect what Jesus said and what, 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 what we hear when we hear that phrase. So uh, getting back to the second movement of Matthew's genealogy, is that God established David as a king, is God's king, actually. God's king for God's people, both now and forever. Second Chronicles 6 kind of summarizes this promise that God gave to David, and it says this, You shall never fail to have a successor sit before me, before me, God, on the throne of Israel, if only your descendants are careful in all they do, to walk before me according to my law, as you have done, King David. Now, David wasn't perfect. Even Matthew's genealogy implies that. But what, what God is after is a heart that's seeking him. And if David's sons 
like into the future, would have that heart of seeking God, then God promises you'll never fail to have a king sitting on the throne. A king from David's line, a Davidic king. And God was faithful to fulfill his promise and his purposes to David. There was David, then there was Solomon, and many, many more that we read in this genealogy. But I want you to know, God's promise was still pointing ahead. Because they, those kings, they did not hold up their end of the relationship. They did not walk in his ways. And after God made every effort to correct them, he gave them over to the fruit of their choices, which leads to the third movement we see in Matthew's genealogy. The, when God exiled his people, and, and even though God was faithful, fulfilling all of his promises, all of his purposes, and even though he was incredibly patient, for generations, the people for generations proved to not be faithful. So they were forcibly removed from their homes, their land, their families were torn apart. The temple that was built as, as, a, as a place to worship God, it was destroyed. Honestly, the best, way to, the best way to summarize the exile is that life as God's people knew it was over. Life as they knew it was over. And this is something that God predicted when he defined his relationship with his people through Moses Deuteronomy 28 gives a whole list of blessings, but an even longer list of curses if the people are not faithful in their covenant relationship with God. And, and look at the end. I'm just going to show you a little bit, just so you get a sense of what exile was. Because sometimes I hear exile and I think, oh, that's a big, long time out. You know, go away from your home. And, you know, your time out for 70 years. <laughs> it's so much worse than that. So Deuteronomy 28, beginning in verse 64 then the Lord will scatter you. This is like future tense because it's a warning passage about unfaithfulness. This is what God will do. He'll scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. You'll live in constant suspense, filled with dread day and night, never sure of your life. In the morning, you'll say, if only it were evening. And in the evening, you'll say, if only it were morning. Because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. Exile is the cursiest curse of all the curses. It really is. It really is. And so even though God showed his faithfulness by delivering his people out of exile, we studied this last year, the book of Nehemiah was an example of God delivering his people out of exile, rebuilding the wall is what they did in Nehemiah. Before that, Ezra led a group, Ezra and Zerubbabel helped led a group to rebuild the temple but all of the rebuilding, all the rebuilding efforts, they ended in hopelessness. And feel free to go and read Ezra and Nehemiah again. It ends on a note of hopelessness. The, the restoration that the people long for is, is not complete. And, and historically, it seems like the kingdom of David had come to an end. I mean, the line goes on, but they're not sitting on the throne. Persia was sitting on the throne. Greece was sitting on the throne. Then Rome was sitting on the throne and God's people lived under their rule. But God was faithful. In the midst of unfaithfulness, God was faithful to fulfill his promises. And the promised one, the Christ, came. And so Matthew, this is when Matthew exits 
genealogy flyover mode, and he descends into some detail. And there's quite a contrast. I want you to pick up on the contrast of father of, father of, father of. Remember that with the genealogy? Now, Matthew says at the end, he's the promised child who, uh, who, who's, it says, Joseph, husband of Mary. Mary, who gave birth to the, the Christ. He, Matthew's making a point. This is no ordinary child. He's the Davidic king, came to rescue the people out of exile. You tracking with me? He's trying to make a point. The contrast of father of father of. This is important. So just let's, let's read Matthew's birth story. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and she gave him the name Jesus. So, again, there's a lot we could say. We could go down into the weeds of this story. Uh, I mean, there's a lot for men, honestly, to learn from how Joseph obeyed God and also uh, protected his woman, you know, his wife by taking her to be his wife and then waited until she gave birth uh, for them to have sex. But there's a lot we could say, but I want you to remember the contrast, father of, father of, father of, and then Mary who gave birth to Jesus. And Matthew uses the Old Testament when he really wants to drive home a point. And he said, this was to fulfill what the prophet had said. And then he quotes Isaiah the virgin will give birth to a son and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is not just a long-awaited man. He is God who became man. He is God with us. And at the end of this gospel, you're probably familiar with the last words. It's, it's the, the Great Commission. The last words of this gospel is Jesus saying, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. So, Matt, so I just want you to see Matthew is, he's making this point, God with us at the beginning, God with us at the end. The whole thing ties together under that. So here, here's a recap. Uh, point number one, I want you to get from verses one to 17. Uh, the genealogy, if you will, is in Jesus, God's ultimate purpose is fulfilled for everything. That's a big, big statement, but it means that everything exists for Jesus. He was the point of Abraham's life and the promises God made to Abraham. 
Jesus was the point. He was the fulfillment. He was the point of King David's life. He's the point of Matthew's life. He's the point of your life. He's the point of my life. He is the point of all of human history. And it's not because you say so. It's not because you give your life to him and desire to make him the point. He is the point. Whether or not you acknowledge it, whether or not those around you acknowledge it, Jesus is the point of all of human history. I believe that's the point Matthew is making with his genealogy. Everything that God has said, everything that God has done is fulfilled in Christ. And then point number two from the birth story, the person who's the point of everything, the center of the universe, is with you. He is available to you. And those are such huge statements that you might just find yourself in the middle of the week asking the question, or right now, asking the question, so what? So what? I mean, isn't God technically everywhere, so he's always with everyone? This isn't exactly news. Um, I kind of figured that Jesus is the answer to everything by going to Sunday school one week. It's like, what's what's the answer to the question? Jesus, that's right. So what? The so what is we must take the bird's eye view of reality, of all of reality, into the details of our daily lives. As we're walking through the cornfield, surrounded by challenges, surrounded by opportunities, surrounded by relationships, finances, limited time, we must keep the big picture of what matters most in the end. To use another illustration, if you're trying to put a puzzle together and you don't have the top of the box that shows you what that puzzle is supposed to look like, it's going to be really, 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 really challenging. Jesus is the picture of what our lives are to be about. And that doesn't mean you accept Jesus and your life's pains and problems go away. It does mean that you're confident that Jesus' way is best. That's the best way to work through and walk through life. And it means that this, this life is training to become like that. It's a process. And you're safe. You're, you're safe with Jesus once you accept him. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to earn his love. You're in relationship, but it's relationship that you walk through the rest of life with him. So let's get into the details as as much as I can. I'm not going to give you the answers because Jesus is the point. That's that's the answer. The the specific applications are going to be fleshed out in your own life, in your own relationships, as you walk with God's spirit and with his people. But let's just look at some examples in the middle of, this patch of cornfield, if that makes sense, the, the patch of work. You're just grinding away one day at a time, same old, same old, frustrating systems, frustrating people. Your attitude is whatever, whatever. I'm just here to punch the time clock, get a paycheck. What these truths say is Jesus is there. And he has something of most importance to say about your work. What, what this is saying If everything exists for Jesus, your job exists for Jesus. And that mindset, that 
that attitude won't just suddenly overtake you overnight. Like you won't hear that today and live 100% out of that tomorrow. But you can start moving in that direction. You can live in this reality more and more. It's a really good place to be. Or you could look at the, the, the patch of, of suffering in your life. Do you believe that Jesus has something significant to say about suffering? He, he absolutely does. And how? what's his intent? What's his purpose with suffering? Or singleness. You might be in a place where you're just like, I'm, I just don't enjoy being lonely. I don't enjoy being single. And that's okay to feel down about that. That's okay to struggle with that. In fact, Jesus knows firsthand what it's like to be single. Hebrews 4, in fact, tells us that no matter what your temptation is, no matter what your struggle, he's been tempted in every way just as we are. And so in order to kind of keep the big picture view of your life, you have to be asking the question, Jesus, what do you th- how am I supposed to look at this? What are you doing? And, and that answer, you, you know this, it's probably not going to come to you quickly. You have to press in to him as the point of your life and hold on to that conviction that he is the point of everything. And he has good purposes, good points for, for what's happening in your life. But you have to believe that he's the point and you have to believe that he's available. Otherwise, you're just going to press through on your own power. And and don't mishear me. Uh, It's okay to struggle. It's okay to stew. It's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. But know that your feelings doesn't change the point of all of life. The point of your life is Christ. And he's available to you. Let's let's move on to another uh, last patch of cornfield, if you will. If you're in the middle of parenting, uh, you want to enjoy your kids, you want the best for them, you want to sleep, you want them to obey you, you want them to love Jesus, all those things, those are often probably driving your, your life, your attitudes, but parents, Jesus is the point of your life, not your kids. And so the best thing you can do for your kids, no matter what age there are, no matter where they're at in life, is to trust Jesus more with your life, to walk with Jesus yourself, to learn how to parent from Jesus. And if you haven't felt this yet as a parent, you you will soon, you really need him. If you haven't felt that yet in wherever you're at in your life, you really need him. But the good news, according to Jesus, is that he's available. The kingdom of the heavens is at hand, is what Jesus said. And and I could keep going, you know, like if your problem is drugs, anxiety, finances, your family, the same is true for all of us. The point of life is the same. It is Jesus who is God with us. And this is a reality that we can either choose to live in line with or not. So let's talk to God about our life and the specific things that we find ourselves in the middle of.
and spend some time just asking your Heavenly Father to help you see Jesus as the point of your life and of what you're in the middle of. And God, we want to also just tell you that we are confident that you're here with us. And we want to look to you as God, not as our divine problem solver. So help us to follow you as our king and to learn from you how to live, how to handle what we struggle with, and how to enjoy appropriately uh, all of the good that you've brought into our lives. Because you are the point, you are our ultimate good, and so we worship you.